Welcome to Happily Ever After is just the beginning. Keeping your relationship not just together, but happy, and we mean truly happy, is part art and part science. You've come to the right place. Here's your host, Leslie Dorries. It all seems so perfect the day that you got engaged. Together you planned the amazing experience that would be your wedding day. Everything seemed perfect for a while until it wasn't. Now, you've heard your whole life that marriage is hard work, that it takes sacrifice and compromise. You've done all that and nothing seems to get better. You know that living this way for another 10 or 20 years is impossible, but is divorce the only other option? Well, to help answer that question, I am joined by Rob and Roxanne Maroney. They have been helping couples rebuild their marriages for the past 15 years and are the authors of the new book, Hope After Hurt, From Heartache to Healing. So Rob and Roxanne, thanks so much for coming on the show and providing hope to people who might just feel a little hopeless. Absolutely. Thanks, Leslie. I I so appreciate you offering your listeners other options besides divorce, because uh, that's what it seemed to me. Yeah, a lot of people get caught up in the, it either has to, you know, it's going to stay the same, which we don't want, or the only other option is to end it. But there is this third option, which you guys help with and I help with, which is how can people make it better? And, you know, the, the, the truth is, and your, and your book talks about this, that your, that your guy's marriage has not always been sunshine and roses. So what was happening for you guys that almost made it a casualty of divorce? Well, in, in my case, um, both my parents had been married four times each. Mm-hmm. I didn't know all their partners, but uh, that didn't start me with a very good view of me. And I, uh, I almost believed that divorce was inevitable. So uh-huh. I really thought, I'm never going to get married because why, why bother? But in, in answer to your question, I did get married eventually. And <laughs> I think we were okay the first 10 years as we were having kids. And, and that kept us so busy. I, I, I don't think we really realized how slowly we were drifting apart. Mm-hmm. And then Rob started working more and more. And I started to feel very alone in the relationship. Mm-hmm. And so sometimes I would avoid my concerns at times, and, and then he would say, well, he's working for the family, and that I basically had unrealistic expectations. So wow. we were both coming into the marriage kind of wanting something from our partner that we weren't getting, and we didn't know how to navigate that, how to change that or even express our needs without just a complaint. Well, you know, when I, couples start... Go ahead, Rob. I was going to say, when couples start looking at each other and leaning on each other to kind of suck the life out of one another to meet the need in their life, it's, it's a recipe for disaster. And there's, there's a number of factors, obviously, as you know and your listeners know, that, that are at work in a relationship that can cause a marriage to be at risk of divorce. And uh-huh. for us, the first dozen years of our marriage, we were in full-time ministry, and we left uh, to go into the business world. And that next decade was that slow decline for us. Uh-huh. But unlike Rocky's experience, growing up with divorced parents and an alcoholic parent, my view of marriage was different. Um, uh-huh. My view was you could be unhappy, but you stay together. 
That's uh, what I saw growing up in my family. My parents hmm. were married over 60 years, and they really functionally were kind of like roommates for many of those years. And so we started looking good on the outside, but like Rocky said, she was feeling alone and isolated in the relationship. But beneath the surface, there was really an erosion taking place. Well, and you know, you, you guys both phrase this so well because what you're talking about are things that frequently happen. I mean, you know, when, when kids come along, and, and bless them, I have two grown ones myself, so been there, done that. But, you know, they do take a lot of energy and effort and, and time. And, you know, and I hear you, Rob, say, you know, you're, you're trying to work all these hours because, you know, you, your, your goal is to provide for the family, right? I mean, I remember working with mm-hmm. um, a couple, and she had just had baby number five and t- already talking about baby number six. And when she mentioned baby number six, I just saw this look of panic go through this guy's face. He was already That's driving true. an hour each direction. You know, he, he was on the road for two hours a day just commuting to work. And, you know, and his, yeah, his thing was, yeah, I was too. Yeah, and he's saying, you know, I love all my kids, but he says at the moment of their birth, he goes, I have this panic about how do I provide for them. So, I mean, this is real stuff that we're talking about. Um, and, and you guys are both describing the legacy. I mean, you know, when you say your parents each have been married four, you know, four times each, I'm just like going, well, if that's not a warning flag. <laughs> yeah. and, you know, and Rob, you're talking about seeing seeing your your parents just be roommates, which again is is frequently what happens. And it's like you mm-hmm. guys talked about; it was very gradual. It didn't all of a sudden one day blow up. It was just like this, you know, Chinese water torture <laughs> thing. Yes, really, yes, really, it was. You know, yeah, absolutely. And then you also talk about not being able, you know, how, how do you bring that up that doesn't just be just a litany of complaints, right? I mean, so this is like, so if anybody's listening, it's like, guys, if, if this is you, you're not alone in any of this. But, right. but you know, it, it is, it's kind of the cards that you were dealt. Well, I tell, I, in working with men, I often, uh, they often resonate with the phrase, um, what you know about love and intimacy and connection and relationships was more caught than taught. And oh, mm-hmm. that was my experience. Um, I, didn't, uh, I, I, didn't, I wasn't taught these lessons of how to love and how to be an intimate partner. Uh-huh. But what I caught was from a dad who was very emotionally absent, very uh-huh. isolating. Uh-huh. Yeah, and, and, and for you, that's normal. Right, because you don't know anything different when you're growing up. This is this is the way a man is supposed to be. Right, <laughs> right, right. Um, yeah. And in your book, you actually talk about and I love I love this visual. When I read this, I went, Oh my gosh, this is such a perfect visual. Because you were talking about what you brought into the marriage, and you guys weren't talking about you know you guys were talking about baggage, but not like suitcases. You guys were each talking about trailers you were pulling which I went oh my gosh that is such a great visual so what did you what was in each of your trailers that you that you brought with you right right so yeah I use that metaphor in the book you know that on our wedding day we drove off pulling two invisible trailers Mm -hmm. full of stuff from our childhood uh, that we really never worked through we didn't know how to work through it and Mm -hmm. um 
And so then as our, our trailers would collide and stuff would come tumbling out, we didn't know why. Mm-hmm. And so naturally, I played, and I think Rob did too, we played the blame game that it must be my partner that's the problem. And, mm-hmm. and that's an easy way out. So in my case, I, I longed for connection and unconditional love that I didn't get growing up, um, almost mm-hmm. unrealistically so. And as well, I had triggers and sensitivities from events and traumas that did happen that I never worked through. Um, I was always afraid Rob was going to leave me or die because I was left alone. Uh, I, my mom gave me TB when I was a baby, and so they had to put me in isolation when I was a, a little baby. I don't remember it, but I think it left a mark on my brain that people leave. Uh-huh. And uh-huh. so I had more of a demand that, you know, I could tell that he was there for me and that he would be there for me no matter what. Um, we we sort of ignorant, ignorantly believed that the past was in the past. Yep. But anything we, anything we bury, we bury alive, and it can pop up if the conditions are right, and mm-hmm. they did with us. Mm-hmm. What was in your trailer? Well, I love, <laughs> I, I love the metaphor of the the trailers in the book and the the key word is the invisible part because uh-huh. I didn't know that I was pulling this big trailer <laughs> yeah. and um, what what we bring from the past we we refer to as our imprints it's an imprint something happened to us and it's the beliefs that we develop that are based upon what we saw heard and experienced growing up in our families of origin and one of my biggest imprints that I brought in my trailer was the belief that love is something that you have to earn. It's not given freely or unconditionally. And so I had to perform and I had to measure up. I had to keep doing things that gave me the affirmation and the acceptance that in my soul I longed for. But as a kid, I didn't know how to get. And so I didn't experience a whole lot of affirmation or emotional comfort in my family. I didn't have models for processing feelings or emotions. I didn't have a vocabulary for feelings. When Uh she would ask me how I feel about something, (laughs) I would say, well, I feel tired or I feel hungry or I feel uh, on edge. But I, did, I, I had about three or four feeling words on my list, uh-huh. and that was about it. So I was very remedial in that area. And so my trailer was filled with a lot of broken understanding and wrong ideas about love and intimacy, which is what we talk about in the book. And so when you're constantly striving to be enough and to measure up, you're constantly performing. And when I couldn't fill that, that, that hole in my life, I started settling for false substitutes and for counterfeits, things like work, influence, uh, meaning, alcohol, uh-huh. drugs, pornography, even all of the above. Uh-huh. Yeah, I mean, and, and it, is, it is so critical. And like I said, you were talking about, being, that must have been a horrible experience to, as, as a baby, being away from everything you knew in a hospital, and it's like, not knowing because you know all little kids think whatever goes on in the world is because of something they're doing because they don't have that I mean mm-hmm. you know, it takes us a while mm-hmm. to even get object permanence that when you know when mom walks out of the room right, mom doesn't right. disappear she she still she still exists she's just not in my personal space but you know I mean and a lot of people wouldn't recognize what you went through as trauma they would just think, oh, it's just something that happened, and you know, it wasn't, you know, I, I survived it, but, but it was, it was traumatic because it did, it left an imprint on you, just to, to use, to use Rob's words. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's how I thought, Leslie. I thought, 
well, I'm sure I was cared for. I'm uh-huh. sure there were people there to take care of me. It wasn't until I understood more about attachment uh, theory and, and, you know, the things we learn in the first six years of our life are directly correlated to how we navigate romantic relationships. And so um, it, it took me until I was probably in my 50s till I realized and appreciated oh, that, that left a mark. And mm-hmm. not only did she leave me then, I think she was gone for a year then because she had to recover from tuberculosis as well. Mm-hmm. Um, but then she became an alcoholic later. So she left me again over and over. So mm-hmm. uh, that, you know, I could pack it away and say, well, that's the history. That's, that's gone now. You know, I'm a Christian now and I've got God and that's all good and well. But it didn't. It didn't magically uh-huh. go away. I had to look at it, name it, realize the impact that it had on me. Yeah, I mean, this is. You know, I, I hear this a lot from my clients. It's like, oh, that was in the past, and it's over now. And I'm right. like, oh, yeah, it's the fact that it that, that it comes up, and and it can come up. And I love the way you describe it. It's like sometimes it just comes flying out of the closet. It's like, where the heck? What is? What is this about? Why am I behaving this way? Right? You know, and our, I mean, our, you know, and sometimes you know, our family members, like whether it's our our partner or our kids, will look at us like we have three heads. It's like, what the heck is going right. on here? Because, you know, I mean, I I tell the story about my husband trying to throw me a surprise party. And he triggered my abandonment issues because he, my husband doesn't lie. He's a horrible liar. And I knew he was lying to me because he's trying to do this nice thing. <laughs> you know, and so when I finally find out about the surprise party, I, I mean, I had lost it. And literally, my kids told me later, they, they said, Mom, we actually thought you went a little crazy that day. <laughs> because, I mean, and in truth, I did. And for my next big birthday, my husband says, you know, I'm not going to throw you a surprise party. I said, yeah, I know. I'm never getting a surprise party again. Right, but right. I was convinced he was leaving me because you know, he's getting secretive and he's lying. And it's like, <laughs> it's, 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 this, it's this crazy stuff. You know, and, and, and Rob, you point out something that I think that I think a lot of women do not understand. And I think it's critically important that for a lot of men, because they have been disconnected from their feelings, from their emotion, that falling into this performance is, is really where they go because that's, you know, I mean, it, it, you know, it's almost the, almost the first, the second words out of somebody's mouth after they meet a man is, you know, first off, what's your name? And then the second one is, what do you do? Mm-hmm. Not do you who do? are right. you, but what do you do? Right, right. <laughs> you know, and then you head into yeah, this had having to, to perform. Yeah, and I, I really, I wrestle, and I still wrestle with that. That's still an issue for me of, of having to, to to be enough to measure up to find my weight and other things, and um, that that's something that I've I've learned to recognize and be aware of when it creeps up. But that voice can still start playing in my head at times that um, I need to do more or I need to do better. Um, and it, uh, you know, sadly, in some ways, I guess we live in a culture and we live in a Western world here that rewards performance and rewards standing out and being special and doing something unique and different. Yeah, and I think the dynamic played out with us was I felt like I was fourth or fifth on the priority list. Uh 
you know, so he put more energy into work than he did into our relationship. So what does that mean about me? You know, how important am I? Which was, again, a direct correlation to how I was treated as a kid. Uh And so it was double whammy, you know, in, in terms of my reaction to it. And it was kind of a double whammy for me, too, in many ways, because in my family growing up, I mean, I'm not blaming my parents or my Uh dad, but they didn't really go out of their way to give me a lot of affirmation, encouragement, or push me into challenging things. And and so uh, that's how I grew up. And then I come into this world as an adult, and the first thing I do is I go into a ministry role. Uh And for 12 years, I was in the ministry, which is not a very uh, highly profitable career. Uh And so when we did leave, I felt like I was a decade behind all my peers. Uh And so I felt like I was playing catch up. Yeah, I can I can relate to that. So this is Happily Ever After is just the beginning on webtalkradio.net. I'm Leslie Dorries, and I'm talking with authors and marriage workshop leaders Rob and Roxanne Maroney about how to move your marriage from the brink of divorce to one that is truly loving, supportive, and intimate. And you know, to be honest, no marriage is perfect, and it's not meant to be, but it shouldn't be a constant source of pain either. The choices aren't only to stay in a marriage that hurts or to end it. You can make the choice to learn how to make it better, and I can help you do just that. So I want to take a moment and invite you to contact me and schedule your free no-obligation five-star relationship call. You can reach me by phone at area code 919-924-0463. Again, that's 919-924-0463. Or you can send me an email at leslie. L-E-S-L-I at foundationscoachingnc.com. That's F-O-U-N-D-A-T-I-O-N-S coaching. And is in Nancy, C is in charlie.com. And I want to get back to talking with Rob and Roxanne about, guys, how did you turn things around? Because you hit the point where a lot of couples hit and they just decide we're too far gone. But what, how did you guys, how, first off, how did you recognize what the problem was? And then what did you do about it? Well, it, you know, it was a slow turn for sure. Mm-hmm. And I think, I think we both had a resolute kind of mindset, um, even though divorce was always in my mind, mm-hmm. uh, not in Rob's mind, but in my mind because my history. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, I think we would probably have just stuck it out unhappily, but um, I became aware more at that point, maybe at um, 20 years in, uh-huh. of how my history was playing out and affecting me. And my mom was still alive at that point and still causing problems with her drinking and stuff. So I went to counseling, and I, and I had to face some of the denial I had about my history and the beliefs that I formed, you know, that, that I thought were no big deal. Uh-huh. So I would say that we both started working on ourselves initially, um, sometimes with a counselor, sometimes not. And then as we grew in compassion toward ourselves and the stuff we were working on, as well as as I started looking at his family and his dynamics and seeing what he didn't have growing up, we were able to start to connect the dots of our history to our present reactions. Uh-huh. Uh, not and you know this, we're not blaming our right. parents, we're not blaming histories as an excuse, but it is an explanation. Uh-huh. And so we started looking for those explanations. 
So that's why we laid out our book starting with our histories um, so hopefully others could see how their past might need to, you, they may need to look at their past too to see, well, how is that affecting me? So I would say it was sort of an individual venture at first, and then we had someone very lovingly uh, get into our dynamic as a couple, and we're really thankful for that counselor. He was wonderful. Well, it's a common phrase that healthy individuals make healthy couples, and uh, <laughs> The big turn for us, and it didn't happen at the same time, um, was that we had to start looking at our own stuff. Like Rocky said, we had to start our own, our own repair journey. And I love how you challenge the thinking of your listeners on your podcast that there is another option. And most uh, faulty thinking will take people to there's only two choices. Either we live in an unsatisfying marriage that hurts or we get a divorce. And there is another option. And the other option is to step into the pain, step into the chaos at times, and take the uncomfortable step. Yeah, I mean, and, and I think that that's really what scares people because, you know, we are, we are products of where we came from, for good, bad, or otherwise. And, and, and it's not about blaming people. I, I am so with you guys on that because most people just do the best they can with what they know and what they have. And they, you know, and it's very hard sometimes to look outside and go, oh, here's this other option, you know. But so, Cygor, so when you're talking about, you know, you're, you're, both your parents were married and divorced four times, which is not a good track record. Somebody would go, okay, are you just, you know, what are you learning each time? Yeah. Or even, Rob, with you, you know, that your parents didn't seem to have that deeper connection that we all need. It's not just that we want it. I mean, human beings need this connection. Um, and so when we don't have it, you know, it's like, well, what's going on? And trying to be able to take a look at what's happened. You know, um, and because mm -hmm. Rock said you were talking about this, and, and as a child of divorce myself, I'm very familiar with your children of divorce, like you say, I'm either never going to get married because it just doesn't work, or we have the flip side that if I get married, I'm never going to get divorced regardless. And then we get caught in these two pathways without seeing that there's a way to connect them. So, I, you know, so I know that you mm -hmm. guys have been working and offering workshops and practical things because that's how I mean I'm all about practicality concepts are great but if people don't have practical things to implement then they just still get stuck so what are some of the mm -hmm. practical tools that you guys offer that couples can use to create greater connection and intimacy in their marriages yeah and you know it may not be the same for every couple but we found six areas that we needed to change in order to for, forge a healthier relationship um, between us in our in our book we put them in that order um, that we found ourselves you know kind of working through them and also we've worked with hundreds of other couples that seem needed in this order um, and here here are the, the big areas that we were we would say broken in and when when he say the word broken it wasn't that we think that we were awful bad people it was just we had a false understanding of them put it uh -huh. that way so it started with a broken thinking and then that led to our broken self-image we had broken trust broken intimacy broken love styles which is the attachment stuff and then broken communication uh -huh. and we did the communication last which is 
mm, kind of curious, but most <laughs> couples come to us saying that communication is their biggest issue, and they mm-hmm. just want us to, to help them get some tools to be better in that area. But if we don't address the triggers and the false beliefs and the reactivities first, they're not able to have a good conversation. They're not able to have good communication. So one of the most helpful tools is one that we use called a connecting conversation. And it's one that actually tries to tie your present reactions or stress reactions to maybe something that happened in your history. Huh. And it's, it's a very simple kind of circular conversation that we have them do, uh, listener, a listener and a speaker. So um, you can explain a little bit more on that. Well, all couples have patterns in their relationship, as you know. And the key is to learning to identify those patterns and recognize them and learn where the off-ramps are. And so uh-huh. when you get caught in your loop or in your pattern, there's an off-ramp. There are many off-ramps, and they just drive by them, though. They keep right. just like driving around in a roundabout. These neighborhoods that have built roundabouts are going around and around and around. Why, how do I get off this circle? You say, mm-hmm. well, you're passing all the main arteries every time you go around. Mm-hmm. And so most people just don't know how to slow things down enough to really listen to each other. Mm-hmm. And what we teach, and I'm sure you do too, is we teach a way to try to be attentive to the other person in a way that communicates that you're present, that you're available, that you hear them, uh, you understand them, you express empathy and compassion. And one of the things that helped me is when we began to practice this kind of conversation with each other, I developed much greater compassion for Roxanne's story Uh because I didn't grow up like that. But Uh all of a sudden I had an awareness of her history and I was grieved by it and I was Uh sad for her. And I I could feel a deeper level of emotion, which was compassion for her. And I, you know, and I love that because compassion is truly the key. Um, I think mm-hmm. it's the key to bridge all kinds of gaps, whether it's in our marriages or our friendships or with our kids or with complete strangers. Because, you know, mm-hmm. and, e- and even compassion for our parents, um, which sometimes can be hard, mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, can we can we can we see them as wounded people just just struggling and not not stand in judgment so i i just love that that com- bringing compassion into into these conversations and so rob i'm curious if there's anything that you could advise people about how to either develop compassion or tap into it because sometimes we can sometimes we can be compassionate you know a lot of times we can be compassionate to our kids in a way that we are not compassionate to our spouses mm-hmm. yeah I mean I I don't know that there's a simple fix to this but I would say one of the things that helped me was someone encouraged me to develop some com- compassion for my own story and so when I could begin to see where I came from, because I, I categorized everything, like I began to understand the trauma of her past, and I would tell everybody for years, well, my childhood was pretty normal. It, right. it was like happy days. I, I was Richie Cunningham, <laughs> and I had a friend named Hans, and, you know, nobody right. ever told each other, each other. It was just understood. We didn't have to say mm-hmm. those things. So I think one of the best ways to develop compassion is for guys like me who are kind of compassion challenged or empathy challenged to develop a much deeper feelings vocabulary. 
And so I had to develop words for what was going on inside me and recognize it. And so that was, that's one of the key points in this connecting conversation that we teach people is learn how to say what you feel and what's going on uh-huh. at a deeper level. Well, and Leslie, haven't you seen it? Like when I've done couples counseling and I, you know, I talk about a present thing that happened to them that caused them stress or emotions. And then when they ask the question, when have you felt that same way in your history growing up? Uh-huh. All of a sudden the lights go on and they say, oh, my mom was always telling me that. Or, uh-huh. or you know, I had a, um, you know, an uncle that was, you know, highly critical or abused me or whatever. Uh-huh. And when they start to connect the dots of, oh, it's not just the current situation or it's not just my partner, it's something else too, then they can start attacking the problem and not each other. Uh-huh. And um, he could see when he saw the connection of my reaction of maybe abandonment to the abandonment as a baby, then it's like, oh, I can be more compassionate toward uh-huh. that when she does it in the present. Um, but that simple conversation helps them kind of connect the dots. Not always, but yeah. often. Yeah, I mean, and it's and it's a really good first step. And it's interesting because I, I have learned in the, both with my clients and also personally that self-compassion can often be the harder one yeah. to do yeah. Because, yeah. because we hold ourselves to some, you know, and obviously the standard we hold ourselves to was created probably in our in our childhood somewhere that, you know, it's like you were saying, Rob, that, that I had to earn love, that love was not something that I, that, that everybody is entitled to, or everybody deserves just because they exist, but that somehow I have to perform in a way to be considered lovable. Now, that's not to say that all of our behaviors should not be, you know, that all of our behaviors are lovable. No. Um, so, Rob, especially, um, how do you help men identify? You know, actually get, get or, and, 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 and it's not just men, but everybody, to, to, to figure out what are the feeling words, because it's not like I feel hot, you know. It's like, I mean, the, the, or I feel hungry. I mean, because hungry is, 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 mm-hmm. a, is a state of being. It's not an emotion. So, um, right. you know, because a lot of times the, the, the vo- emotional vocabulary is very stunted, very limited. So how do you expand that for people? Well, most of the time I have to, uh, we rely on, on, on actually a printed list. And I had a feelings word list that I carried around with me. And I think I may have put it on the refrigerator for a while. But it was a, it was a feelings word list. And they're, they're readily available. Um, uh-huh that helps you begin to see you start at the center kind of with the primary emotion am i am i feeling angry am i feeling uh sad uh, depressed moody lonely um and then you work your way out and it expands into dozens of other words that might relate to that um i i to make it simple i think i i, I kind of try to use acrostics and one of them is halt you probably heard that where when a guy is uh is feeling triggered or energized by something that's going on and maybe pulling into some dysfunctional behaviors. I say, okay, ask yourself the H-A-L-T. Am I hungry? Am I angry? Am I lonely? Am I tired? Uh And uh, which which of those might be triggering a behavior in me that I need to pay attention to? Uh And so 
but the feelings word list, I would say the expanded feelings word list was the most helpful thing for me. And um, we print it out and give it to clients. <laughs> yeah, it, well, it, it, it actually is really great. Mm-hmm. Haven't you, uh, Leslie, heard people say, you know, how, are you, how do you feel in this relationship? And they'll say, well, I feel like or I feel that. Mm-hmm. And they're not really saying a feeling at all. They're saying an opinion, mm-hmm. which then, you know, devolves into an argument. Mm-hmm. And so teaching people how to say a feeling word after they say, I feel lonely mm-hmm. or I feel confused or I feel uh, marginalized or, or whatever, mm-hmm. but they need a list sometimes to even stimulate those thoughts because it it doesn't readily come to their uh, to their mind. Right. So, um, but I hear it everywhere. I feel <laughs> I feel like you care about me, and that's right. really not a, a feeling at all. No, it's 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 kind of hedging. It's it's kind of you know because yeah. if we if right. we really say you know I feel lonely or I feel hurt or I feel sad, you know, and and it could be actually hard for other for our partners to hear that, and they they don't want us to feel that way. So that's all, but that's a conversation well, for another day. So um, any other you know before we wrap up, any other um, suggestions that you have for couples to to try to turn things around? Um, well, you know, again, you, you and I would both be advocates of having um, a good counselor that can mm-hmm. help you um, hear each other better and um, have a good conversation. But before we even had that, I, I think we saw nine counselors at one point mm-hmm. trying to find the right one. Uh-huh. So I think finding someone that really can help you both um, see the, each other uh, with compassion is huge. Um, and then after that, we did a weekly connecting questions that uh-huh. we would go down to the heart point and we would kind of go through these questions that were like, you know, how did you, how did you feel this week or how did you experience me this week? Or is there uh-huh. something stressful that's going on that I can help, you know, pray for you or I can help uh-huh. you with. And, um, but you, you have to set aside that time because it doesn't happen now to be kind of a, an appointed time. And yeah. that helped us a lot. Leslie, people so, can try to this and do something that that can be very, very cumbersome and clunky and unnatural, and they uh-huh. want to be good at it, and they don't want to practice. And it's like, well, you can <laughs> if you help them understand how do you get good at anything? This yeah. is not natural. We uh-huh. weren't born really knowing how to do this on a deeper level. So, taking the initiative to to practice and to take those 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 baby steps that. Don't always stay baby steps. Sometimes they yep. stay as um, very important steps towards healing and restoration. I love it. So can you share, first off, where they can find the book and, and any other information that you would like to provide the listeners? Yes, thank you. Uh, well, the book is uh, it came out just in August, so it's only been out a few months. Um, the book is available on Amazon, uh, Barnes & Noble, and uh, most other major online book retailers. You can find out more about us at our website, which is hope-after-hurt.com. So it's hope after hurt with a dash between the three words. Um, <laughs> we also it. have our own coaching, yeah, coaching website, which is eyesightcoaching.com. And uh, that's the letter I, S-I-G-H-T, coaching.com, not the word I. So <laughs> eyesightcoaching.com. That gets confusing, but there 
you know, our, our bios, our backgrounds in there, information about the book, links. Uh, you can also click on a link for a free sample of the book, and uh, we'd make that available. Terrific. Because as I've said before, no one has to take a Relationship 101 class, but I truly believe that everyone should because what you learn about relationships is often through personal experience, but every romantic relationship you've been in before your marriage has ended. So how are you going to keep this relationship going? Well, you can't if you only go by your past experiences. And doing the same things that resulted in the end of all of your other relationships will get you the same result with your marriage. Um, trust me on that. Believe me, I know that that's true. Um, and so what I hope you guys will keep doing is I hope that you will keep listening to this show to learn how to do things differently. And until next week, stay loving. <laughs>